following sermon was preached on August 15, 2021 at Antioch Presbyterian Church, a mission work of Calvary Presbytery of the Presbyterian Church in America, located in Woodruff, South Carolina. Pastor Joe Harrell, Mission to the World Missionary to Columbia, preached this sermon entitled Our Destiny on 1 Thessalonians 5, 1-11. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit us at antiochpca.com or contact us at info at antiochpca.com. May the Lord bless you as you receive gracious instruction from His Word. I was standing on my back porch. Tears were streaming down my eyes. Just as the rain was pouring before me. I had my baseball glove on and my baseball cap. Our mom tried to encourage us, boys, this is the clearing off shower. But we knew for certain our baseball game had just been rained out. For us, this rainstorm was terrible news. It was the worst thing that could have, been, could have happened. Our uniforms were laid out. We were ready to hit the field. But there would be no game that night. But a short distance away, no doubt, some of our neighbors who had been praying for rain, possibly in the month of August, were giving thanks to God because the rain that they had prayed for and longed for, God had heard their prayers. Uh, Their corn would prosper and grow and bear fruit. To them, this rainstorm was the greatest news, the best thing that could have happened, an answer to prayer. When we come to the question of our text tonight, the Lord's coming, we are mindful of the fact that to some, this is the worst possible news. It means judgment. It means damnation. It means separation from God forever. And that is certain. And those who are not in Christ will not escape. And yet, To those who believe, to those who are in Christ and pray for and long for his coming, this is our destiny. This is the greatest thing that could possibly happen. Now, let me remind you that last week we saw that at the end of each chapter of 1 Thessalonians, there is always a reference to the Lord's second coming. Tonight we'll see, specifically in our text, the certainty of his coming. Verses 1 and first part of verse 2. We'll see the suddenness of his coming, the last part of verse 2. We'll see if this word does exist, the terribleness of his coming for those who do not believe in verse 3. And then we'll see in verse, and fourthly, the gloriousness of of his coming for those who believe in verse 5. And then we come to an exhortation for us as Antioch Presbyterian Church. How does the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ impact this next week? The decisions we'll make, our priorities, how we will spend our time, our hopes, our fears, and our prayers. 
And we will see tonight that the second coming of Christ, indeed for those who are in Christ, is our destiny, the greatest news. Because what it represents is that we will be with the Lord together forever. First of all, the certainty of his coming. The certainty of his coming, our text says, now as to the times and epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. You remember from Acts chapter one, as our Lord Jesus was preparing his disciples for his ascension, and they asked the question, this very question, when? When, is this the time? And he said, it is not for you to know the times, as in the chronological time, or the epochs in terms of the special appointments of God. It is not for you to know. So needless to say, we should not inquire about the times. Isn't it amazing that throughout church history and down to our own day, people are still setting dates? We don't really have to look very far to, to hear and these dates come and go. But even though we do not know the dates, it is very important for us to see that a time has been appointed by the Father. He is coming, that is certain. In that same chapter, in Acts chapter one, verse 11, as the disciples are there looking into heaven at his ascension, the angel comes and says, what are you doing? Why are you looking into heaven? This same Jesus that you have seen ascend into heaven will come again in the same manner in which he has gone. And so we have the certainty of his coming. In light of that certainty, then our question this evening is how are we to live? How are we to pray? The second thing that we see in this text is the suddenness of his coming. The picture is given to us in verse two of our text, like a thief in the night. Does it surprise you that the coming of our Lord who is perfect in his righteousness, he is the good shepherd who came not to steal like a thief or to kill or to destroy, but he came that we might have life and have it to the fullest. Why is his coming described as a thief? Well, we actually see this not only in our text tonight. Uh, we see it in 2 Peter 3, verse 10. We see it in Revelation chapter 3, verse 2. Revelation 16, verse 5. This is a common way that the coming of the Lord is described in the Bible repeatedly. He is coming as a thief in the night. I'm indebted to Howard Hendricks, uh, not Howard Hendricks, but William Hendrickson, who makes an interesting point. He says that the thief normally does not send a warning letter which says, tomorrow at such and such a time, I will pay a visit to your house. Be sure you hide all of your valuables. No, 
That is not how a thief operates. And so we're shown in this that the idea of Christ coming as a thief is that his coming is sudden. It is not announced. It is unexpected. Thirdly, we see the terribleness of his coming for those who do not believe. In verse 3, our text tells us that those who have not put their faith and trust in Christ, those who often would scoff and laugh about the idea that there will be an end to this world, that the one who is the true king and head, the creator, will return to this world in judgment. Verse 3 warns us. It says, while they are saying, and these, they are those who are sons of darkness, those who yet have not bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ, while they are saying, peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like birth pains upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. There's something very striking about this text. It says that while they are saying peace and safety. Now, some of you will recognize those words from the Old Testament. It was a time uh, of judgment of God upon his people when in Jeremiah's day people were saying this very thing peace peace interestingly enough in Jeremiah it actually says the problem was that God had not healed the brokenness of his people the peace that was being announced was a superficial peace. Becky and I reminded of just a few years ago, thousands of Colombians marching. The March of Peace. Finally, the longest civil war in Latin America was to end with the armed revolutionary forces. Peace would be secured. If you travel to Colombia today from the coast all the way to Ecuador, there is no peace. That war continues under different names and headings. Often, the peace that this world offers is a superficial peace. I believe that many have been awakened by the pandemic. We thought life would just continue as it always had before, same economy, up, up. Our jobs would continue. Our health would be the same. But it would be hard to find someone who believes that today, anywhere in the world. There's a warning. The warning is the king will return. For those who have not bowed their knee to him by faith, who do not know him as their Lord and Savior, there will be no hope, no second chance. There will be no escape as when birth pains come upon a pregnant woman. And so as we think about this, the text actually says the day will overtake 
those in darkness. In 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 9, we see something of what this judgment will be and why I have called it terrible. 2 Thessalonians 1 9 says, and these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Have you ever spoken to someone that think that hell will be their best night at the bar? It will just be a celebration. They'll be with their friends and it'll be great. What could be further from the truth? I'll read this again. And they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. We were made to know God, to live in relationship with him. This is what it means to be made in his image. Because of our sin and disobedience, we have been separated from him. We are in the world without God without hope. Later in this passage, we're described as children of wrath, children of the darkness. And so the exhortation, the admonition in this text, even though Paul is writing to the church, to believers, is take heed. There will be no escape when the Lord comes again. This is described later in this text in verse 7 as sleeping and drinking in spiritual darkness. Jesus described once, speaking of his coming, that people will be marrying, giving in marriage. Uh, This will be a time in which life will just continue as it always has until the suddenness of his coming. And it is as if people are asleep. They are living their lives as if this is not going to happen. They're drinking to the point where they lose control and they're not aware of the reality of judgment. In Luke chapter 21, verse 34, we see that this extends beyond having too much to drink. Uh, Drunkenness often in the Bible or dissipation is given to us as a picture because someone loses control. That's why the Bible, in speaking of being filled with the Spirit, says that we're not to be drunk with wine under the control of that, but we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Luke 21, and I want to carefully be sure that we understand, the warning is broader than simply a problem with alcohol. (laughs) Luke 21, verse 34, Jesus said, Be on guard that your hearts may not be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. And that day come on you suddenly like a trap. The worries of life. Think about that for a moment. Weighed down with the worries of life. One of the greatest dangers that we see is simply being distracted. Living our lives as if 
This world will always continue. Our lives will always continue. Heed this warning. The warning for us is that today is the day of salvation. This text later is going to show us that while the second coming of Christ apart from him is judgment and wrath, in the same way, it is going to show that in him, everything is made new. It is what we were made to do, to both in this life and in the life to come, to be with him forever. And so we see now turning to the gloriousness of his coming for those who believe. In verse 5, turning back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in verse 5, those who are in Christ are described as sons of light and sons of the day. Those who are not of the night nor of darkness. Certainly this is in spiritual terms. You remember that the Gospel of John, particularly John in all of his writings, uses extensively the contrast between light and darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. Those who live in him walk in the light, even as he is in the light. The warning in John is not to stumble into the darkness. And it's already been prayed in this service of 1 Peter 2, 9 reminds us that a believer is one who has been called out of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ. And so what is this exhortation for us as children of light? What is God saying to us, Antioch Presbyterian Church, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He's giving us the exhortation in the words in verse 6 and also in verse 8, let us. He says, let us be alert and sober. Uh, the word sober here is the word for self-control. Uh, it's the fruit of God's spirit. To be self-controlled is so that we can pray, that we are alert, as we'll see later in the image given of the breastplate and the helmet of a watchman on guard duty, a soldier. In fact, this is how we are to do this. We are called to take up our guard, to pray. In the very same terms as Ephesians chapter 6, we are called to put on the full armor of God, the breastplate. Many have thought that when Paul was in prison and writing there that he was looking perhaps at a Roman guard, a soldier. And he saw one who was wearing a breastplate that was actually covering his heart, uh, protected him. Uh, today, we would use a bulletproof vest. But this breastplate that guarded his heart, it says is actually faith and love. Interestingly, but as we began 1 Thessalonians last week, we talked about the three Christian virtues. You'll remember faith, 
love, and hope. They appear again in our text this evening. The breastplate actually is faith and love. And remember we talked about that last week, that often these wonderful words, these Christian graces such as faith, often we, in our day, simply think of faith in faith or faith in ourselves. But we saw last week that this is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, resting alone upon him. And the same with love. We talked about last week that uh, what, what does it really mean to love and to be loved? The scripture reminds us that we love because he first loved us. Scripture reminds us that in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to take the wrath of our sins in our place. This is love. This is the breastplate that we are to put on to protect our hearts. But also it says the helmet to protect the head. The helmet here is the hope of salvation. Remember last week we spoke of hope. Hope is actually the word to wait. To wait upon the Lord is to hope and we wait upon his coming. That is one of the ways that we hope in him. But I want to show you something tonight. Perhaps you have seen this before. Many of us somewhere along the way have maybe in a vacation Bible school, some of you children, and I would encourage you to possibly do that this week to actually make a copy of a Roman soldier with all of their uh, the helmet that they wore, the breastplate, the weapon that they carried and, and to put on there what those stand for from Ephesians chapter six and from first Thessalonians five. But I want to remind all of us tonight, the one who actually is the warrior, the one in whom really is our hope, the one who loved us even to the end, the one and only one who is the object of true faith. In Isaiah chapter 59, an incredible passage we see who this great warrior truly is. Isaiah chapter 59. In verse 17. And he put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself with zeal as a mantle. This passage is speaking of God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the true warrior. When we, brothers and sisters in Christ, when we put on the breastplate of faith and love, when we put on the helmet of salvation, of hope of salvation, we are doing nothing but putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what this passage is calling us to do, to hope in him, 
faith in him, love because he loved us. And so, what is our destiny? Our destiny, turning back to 1 Thessalonians 5, is whether we are awake or are asleep, we are to be together with the Lord. Let me carefully define those terms because if you're taking notes tonight, you've already written that to be asleep in this passage earlier is to be unaware, to be buzzed, to not recognize what is going on, that the end of all things is at hand. Christ the King is coming, and unless we are in Him, we will be judged, separated from Him, lost forever. Uh, that's what it meant earlier. But in this passage, in this verse, awake and asleep refers to something else. If you look at 1 Thessalonians 4, those who are asleep in Christ are those who are resting here beside this building. They are those who put their faith and trust in Christ. In Christ, by His grace, they were saved. And we read earlier in our confession tonight of where they are. They are more alive than we are. They are with the Lord Jesus Christ, spiritually with Him. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. This it refers often in Paul's language in 1 Corinthians 15. To be asleep in Christ is to have died. It is to be trusting in him. Think of the elder of this church who served many years, I understand, faithfully in this church. He is asleep in Christ. But the scripture refers to that as sleep because as we confessed earlier, that grave will open. He will rise before even those of us who are awake. Those who are awake in this text are those of us who are still alive when Christ comes again. So that word is used two different ways in our text. Having understood that, we understand that those who have trusted in Christ, those who know him by faith, that our destiny is to be with him together forever. That's our hope. But I conclude this evening by trying to answer the question from our text. What about now? What about Monday morning? What about the different things that I am facing here and now? Look at verse 11. Therefore, it's as if the Holy Spirit is, is anticipating our question. Therefore, encourage one another. This word encourage here is the word used for the Holy Spirit. It actually is the word to come alongside, to bring comfort. So as we prayed earlier for those who may profess faith in Christ, but who do not have a church family like this family here, how can we grow in our faith? 
without one another. We read, especially in Paul's writings, these wonderful passages of one anothering. And this is the text here. We are to encourage one another. And also he says that we are to comfort one another. What does it mean to comfort? Comforting is weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice, walking through life together, sharing really our joys, our burdens. Remember those one another passages of bearing the burdens of one another, loving one another, forgiving one another, uh, actually, the text says that we are to put up with or support one another. <laughs> All of that is implied. So we are to one another because that is our true destiny now. This church, in its worship, in its fellowship, in its work, it's nothing but a foretaste of our destiny forever with the Lord. He allows us to worship together, that we might love worship, that we might practice here and now what will be our experience forever without end. He allows us to serve together. He has left us here to proclaim, to warn those of our neighbors, our family, and others who are without Christ, that apart from Him, they face an eternity separated from God. If you are here this night, and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, the second coming of Christ is much worse than a seven-year-old boy who has just seen his Little League baseball game rained out. It is separation from God. It is judgment forever. But yet there is hope. There is hope. And that hope is found clearly written in this text in the one who is the true warrior. The one who died for us, verse 10, so that whether we are awake, that is, we are living, or we are asleep, we have died, we may live together with him, you, even today, can know that assurance by putting your faith and trust in Christ. There is hope. There is hope of eternal life. Brothers and sisters, this week, as we interact with our co-workers, our neighbors, family members who don't know Christ, we must warn them. We are the watchmen. We are placed here to let them know that things are not always going to be the same. There, there is no peace apart from Christ. May he find us to be faithful watchmen. And we are called to be alert, to be self-controlled, to pray. We are called into battle. But thanks be to God, we are not called to be alone. He has given us one another. Thanks be to God.
Thank you for listening to this sermon from Antioch Presbyterian Church. We are located in the historic Cashville community of Woodruff, South Carolina, near the intersection of South Carolina Highways 101 and 417. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com.